in the middle of your Old Testament, but this story takes place at the end of the Old Testament. So uh, it's about a guy by the name of Nehemiah who happens to be the cup, king's cupbearer. Nehemiah is a Jew, uh, and he has been raised in captivity in Babylonian Persian captivity. He made his way up to be the king's cupbearer. It was an incredibly exalted position. So uh, he's, in, he's in Shushan, the palace. Uh, his brother comes in, and he asks how everything's going in Jerusalem, and he says, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Nehemiah becomes burdened for it. Nehemiah says, you know what? Um, he starts praying and fasting, spends four months praying and fasting, and God is working in the heart of the king. One day, Nehemiah is doing this job, and the king comes in. The king says, what's wrong? And Nehemiah says, well, my, my city the, where my forefathers were buried, he said, it's in desolation, and, and it bothers me. And he said, well, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah said, well, here's, here's what I would like to do. I'd like to go back and fix it. I'd like to go back and build the walls. Now, when we talk about the walls of Jerusalem, you need to understand that at that point, we're talking about uh, walls that are about two and a half miles long, about 40 feet tall on average. So to put that in perspective, you're talking about a wall from here all the way up to Climbing Hill, about 40 feet tall on average. So as you drive by and you look at the telephone poles, you just think of a wall that high that far. And so that's the task. Average, average width is about 8 feet plus or minus depending on where you are on the wall. So that's the task to rebuild it. So Nehemiah says, I want to go back and do that. And the king says, all right. And then, he said, and then Nehemiah incredibly, boldly says, and I would like you to give me letters that say I can do this. So I'm doing this with your approval. And he said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I'll do that too. And then he said, oh, and king, one more thing. When I get there, I'm not going to have money to do it. So can you give me your credit card so you can pay for the whole thing? And the king said, you know what? I'm willing to do that too. And then, although Nehemiah didn't ask for it, when he goes, the king sends him an armed escort. So the king gives him a whole group of people. Nehemiah makes an 800-mile journey from Shushan all the way to, to Jerusalem. He gets there. He spends three days just resting, just kind of figuring out what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Uh, does a lot of surveying. Grab, finally gets a group of people together and says, hey, we're going to build this thing. And the people are like, yes, let's go do it. It's, it's been a long time since... Uh, these walls have been built, and we can live in the city safely. And, of course, the second you do something like that and try to accomplish something for God, opposition comes. And we talked about how Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, you got to remember those guys, you're going to see them again today, and you're going to see them a lot. Um, they started to oppose it because they were the neighboring places, and as long as Jerusalem was torn down, they could control it. But once the walls got up, all of a sudden now, uh, they didn't have the control that they once had, and people don't like giving up control. And so uh, we talked about last week how everybody got involved except the Tekoites. Um, they, they decided to be too good to help, and, and forever we know them for that. Uh, and we talked about the idea that God used everybody. Everybody had a role. Everybody pitched in. Everybody did whatever they could, and God did that. Now this morning, what we're going to do this, this week and next week, I'm splitting it up because in, what happens is we now start to see opposition. We now start to see that when God wants to do something, how Satan starts to work. And so we're going to look at, at three things this week and then two ways that Nehemiah handled that. And then we're going to look at three other things that happen in this story and, and two ways that Nehemiah handles it. And, and here's, the, here's the important thing for us to understand. 
Satan hasn't changed. The things that he does in the book of Nehemiah are the same things he's doing in your life this week. Just like the people in Nehemiah, as they went to do something for God, Satan gets his claws into it and says, I'm going to cause some problems. And you're going to see some tools and some ways that Satan tried to, to keep this thing from going on. And it's no different in your life or mine. You try to do what's right at work, this is what's going to happen. You try to have a marriage, a strong marriage for God, this is what's going to happen. You try to raise godly children, this is what's going to happen. You try to have a stand in the community for Christ, this is what's going to happen. The things that you're going to see in, in, in this study are going to be things that you and I face too. And if we learn how Nehemiah dealt with them, we now know how we can deal with them as well. So, that's where we're going this morning. So, I'm going to run through the passage. I'm going to go through the principles real quick, and then we're going to apply some other things for us to learn. So here we go. Nehemiah chapter 4. Here's what it says. But it so happened, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, now he had already tried to stop it before, but now the people have started building the wall. So now it's getting serious. That he was furious and very indignant. In other words, literally the Hebrew idea is, this guy is red, hot, mad, angry that they're getting ready to do this. That's the idea behind the, 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 the idea here. And he mocked the Jews. So the first thing that he starts to do is he starts to make fun of them. He starts to ridicule them. You try to do something for God, first thing that's going to happen is people are going to start ridiculing you, making fun of you, telling you why it's a dumb idea, why you can't do it, why you shouldn't do it. Notice what he does. He spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? He's going to try to rally people around them. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rush? Stones that are burnt. So, right off the bat, he faces a tremendous amount of ridicule for trying to do what's right. The, the shoulder of Israel trying to rebuild the walls. And now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. They really think they can pull this off? I mean, come on, at best, at best, a fox, you, you know, a fox is what, like this big, right, close, yeah, okay, yeah, it's going to knock down a 20-foot wall, that's what they're saying, it's going to knock down a 40-foot wall, they're saying, who do they think they are that they can pull this off, so the first thing that they start to do is they start to ridicule and make fun of these people, in essence saying, do they even know what they're doing? Now listen, because here's what you're going to find. This is one of Satan's first two. Kids, teenagers, young people, college kids, listen to me. The second you try to do what's right, you are going to face ridicule. Now in our culture, again, I don't, I don't, don't take this too, too wrong, but in our culture, all of a sudden we label it bullying and we say, oh, don't be bullied, don't be bullied, don't be bullied. You're going to face bullies the rest of your life. Okay? As adults, we get bullied. We get people that come up against us. We get people that make fun of us for doing stuff. Right now, we're out here do it, doing this building thing. People in the community are making fun of us. Like, they really can't do what they think they're going to do. That's part of it. When you start to do something for God, it makes people uncomfortable. And the way that people deal with the uncomfortableness is to ridicule you. You're watching it in politics. 
You're watching it at the workplace. You're watching it all the way across the board. It's what happens. And anytime you and I start, and I get people saying, well, you know, they make fun of me at work because I don't swear. That's their problem. That's their problem. You know why they're going to make fun of you? Because you're making them feel bad. So if they can get you to do what they do, then they don't feel bad anymore. If they can get you to cut the corners in your business like they cut corners, then they don't feel bad anymore. If they can get you to, to look at that way, or if they can mock you by going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we were going to ask you, but you do that like that church thing on Sunday. Yeah, I do. I do. Because, you see, one of the things that Satan does is he tries to ridicule and use others to ridicule us to help us so that, so that we, can, we stop doing it. Here's what's interesting. How do you respond to that? Now, the next passage is very controversial. You should know that. Okay? Because Jesus taught, what do you do to your enemies? Love them. So let's listen to Nehemiah's prayer of love. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach upon their own heads. Give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So, Nehemiah's prayer is, wipe them out. Now, we struggle with this. Because if you don't teach of Jesus, Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them which persecute you, da da da, da. So we struggle with it. If you really want study the Psalms when David prays what are called the imprecatory prayers. And the imprecatory prayers of the Psalms where David prays for the, his destruction, for his enemies to be wiped off the planet. And you go, I don't understand how, I mean, where's the love in this? Okay, time out. Let's talk about a couple of things here about this, a couple of principles here. This isn't a personal deal for Nehemiah. You need to understand that. Nehemiah, is, Nehemiah here is not saying, okay, Lord, they're giving me a hard time. Please deliver me and wipe them out. It's not about Nehemiah at all. Notice what he says. Turn their approach, give them as plunder to land of cat. Don't cover their iniquity, let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you. God, this is about you. You want us to build the walls. This is your job. This is your project. We're trying to do your work. And God, they're attacking you. You need to deal with it. This is a God look. You deal with them. They're messing up your thing. It's not about me building the walls. This is about you've called us to build the walls. We want to build the walls. They're keeping your work from going forward. Take them out. Because we want to build the walls. Now, here's what's interesting. God doesn't take them out. In fact, the numbers increase. The opposition is going to get greater and greater and greater and greater. We're going to talk about why, that's, why that happens, too. But this is an interesting prayer. Because Nehemiah immediately goes to God and says, God, look, this is your problem. They're making fun of you. You take care of them. Now, notice what happened. So we built the wall. Did he listen to the ridicule? He just went ahead and built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So they were able to accomplish two and a half miles of wall, about 20 feet high. 
for the people had a mind to work. See, here's what's important, and this is how you handle ridicule. You keep your focus on what you were called to do. See, kids, people make fun of you for doing what's right. You keep your focus on doing what's right. You don't listen to the critics. There'll always be critics. You don't listen to the, the, the ridicule, because there'll always be people ridiculing. You focus on doing what's right. And so Nehemiah and the people, Nehemiah basically says, God, look, they're making fun of you. They're tackling, they're, they're, they're ridiculing what you want to do. They're getting in the way. God, you take care of them. We're going to go back to work. And they accomplish a whole bunch. And you would think that at this point then, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gisham would just walk away, right? Notice what happens next. He goes on, verse 7. Uh, let's see. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, so now we added another group, and the Ashdodites, now we added another group. So we've gone from three groups of people being persecute, persecuting them to five now heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Because when you do what's right and you get ridiculed and you stand for it, the ridicule goes away. The people go away. They don't persecute you anymore, right? No. Now all of a sudden, they are even more angry because the people have accomplished something now and they want to shut it down. So how do they try to do that? They all come together because, again, the opposition caused the children of Israel to come together, focus on the work, get the wall built, halfway all the way up. This made them mad, so now they've got to get more people on their side to come against it. And notice what it says. They came to attack Jerusalem, so now physically they're going to, to try to go battle with them. And what's the next say? Next page. Create confusion. Now, we're going to try to get them confused within themselves. And then notice what it says. Nevertheless, how did they respond? We made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against, the, against them day and night. In other words, Nehemiah says, okay, we're going to pray about it, but uh, I need a couple of people to stand watch over the wall tonight. Volunteers? Okay, how about you guys take tomorrow night, and then your, why don't your family take care of Tuesday night, and you guys will do Wednesday, and you guys can do Thursday. And I know it's going to be a long day because you're not going to work all day, and then you're going to stay up at night watching, and it's going to, but, you know, we need to do this. And that's how they do it. And so you watch Satan here try to undo this work. Now, by the way, fast forward, end of the story. They build this wall in 52 days. They don't let any of this stuff get in their way. But, you, but notice what, what happened. The whole idea is they came together to attack Jerusalem. And so what they tried to do to these people, and this is important for you to understand, they tried to get them and create within them fear. And you need to know that's exactly what Satan will do in your life. He will, the ridicule thing doesn't work, then he goes to the fear thing. And he tries to create fear so that you're afraid. To do, you're afraid. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't take that stand at work because if I take that stand at work, I get fired, and then I can lose my job. And if I lose my job, I don't have a way to support my family. And my family's first, and my family should be before God, so therefore I won't take the stand at work. Why? Because I'm afraid. 
Maybe, you know, you know what, if, here's the thing, you know, if I say something to them about that, then all of a sudden they're going to get all mad. And here, Here's what you face in ministry all the time, and it becomes more and more and more. You know what, if you guys do that, we're going to sue you. You'd be surprised how many times you hear that in, in ministries and in organizations. You'd be surprised how many times people in, in your business, those of you who are business owners, you know how this goes. Well, you know what? If you don't deal with this the way I want it dealt with, I'm going to sue you. Fear. I watch families do this. I watch husbands and wives do this. Well, you know what? If you don't change, you know, then what's going to happen? If you don't stop spending money the way you're spending money, then the next thing you know, we're going to be down at the homeless shelter, and, and, and it's all because of you. Fear. Or confusion. Teenagers are masters at this. It's in their DNA. I go to mom, and then I go to dad, and I get them so confused on what I actually want that I get manipulated in order to get what I want. Now you teenagers, little kids do this. I mean, I watched Claire do this yesterday. We had Claire yesterday, you know, and we said no. <gasps> Yeah, hi there. She heard her name. She knows. <laughs> and we said no, and we took it away from her. And she threw a wall-eyed. Let me tell you something. That girl can throw a wall-eyed fit like nobody's been. It's almost a point she starts screaming and crying so loud, she, you almost think she's going to stop breathing. Okay? Because she just, I mean, and so Gene and I, we're standing in the, in the dining room, just standing over and we're watching this. And when you didn't, you know, she's forgot, you know, she's dealing with me, you know. And so we both looked at each other and went, let's just let her cry. So we walk out of the room. Now she's in a room all by herself, on the floor, throwing her little tantrum thing. My lovable, sweet granddaughter. I went to my office. Jean went in the living room. Next thing I know, we start here. And she get one for a while. Don't, don't think that she, you know. And after about five minutes, she figured out, you know, nobody's paying attention to me. So she comes walking in, and we both look at her. We said, well, are we done now? And it was like, yeah, because that didn't work. <laughs> you know, I didn't get what I wanted. You know, why? You know, because look, and that's what happens is, is, is all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to confuse them so that they finally give me what they want. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create, you know, they're going to think that if I'll stop breathing and that, that, that they got to give me what I want. No. Cry, throw your tantrum. It's okay with us. We raised two, you know, and, you know, it, you know, and, and, and the drama comes well. I mean, you know, she's learned it well, um, from, from grandpa. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, the point is, look, these guys said, and so Nehemiah prays. That's what he does. He goes back to it and prays about it. And then, here's the great thing. He does something about it. He doesn't just pray. That's the thing you've got to understand. He doesn't just pray. He goes, you know what? That is a credible threat. They could attack us. So, you know what? Let's set up an alarm system. You know? We're at church here. We pray. Uh, we pray. We ask God to protect this place and take care of this place and everything else. And we buy a security system. Why? Because we are smart enough to realize that there are bad people out there who like to steal stuff that doesn't belong to them. And we want, you know, I almost thought about putting a sign on the door or, or as you drive in the driveway that says, 
God is always watching, and so are we. Um, you know, because we have a scary why? Because there, we we were proactive. Not only does he deal, not only does he pray about, it, but he does something proactive about it too. Okay, and he says, you know what? This is common sense. Let's go ahead and set a watch so that, so that we're 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 protective over. Okay, that's the story. Basically, here's what you have: you have Satan using a couple of things. He uses the anger to ultimately produce ridicule, to produce fear, to produce confusion. That's what he's doing, and that's exactly where he's doing right now in some of your lives. That's why you're so frustrated. Because Satan, for whatever, somebody's making fun of you for doing what, making the decision that you're making. Somebody's threatening you. Somebody's saying, you know, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. You know, you do this, and I'm never going to do this, or I'm not going to do this. And so they're using fear. They're trying to intimidate you. In some cases, they're, it's the confusion thing. What happens is you talk to somebody, and they tell you this, and then they go and they tell somebody else that you said this. And so now you've got to go to that person and go, I didn't really say that. Oh, yes, you did. And then you've got to go to that person, and the whole thing's just so confused. Why? Because that's what Satan does. That's what Satan loves to do. That's why I say the best thing you can do. You know, that's what happens in marriage counseling. What do I do? I sit down with the husband and I go, okay, tell me your side of the story. Okay, I sit down with the wife and I say, tell me your side of the story. Okay, now let's all get together and let's hear both sides of the story. Why? Because then we're all in the same room together. And we're all going to be talking about the same, doesn't mean we'll all hear the same thing, but at least I as a third party can go, you know what, here's what I heard them say. That's not what they said. And I can do that. Why? Because confusion is one of the things that Satan will get and use in your marriage to divide you. And you've got to understand that it hasn't changed. Thousands of years it hasn't changed. He did it back with the children of Israel, and you see it all throughout the Scripture. So let's talk about a couple of principles. And again, how does he respond? He responds in prayer. He responds in focus. He keeps that idea of... Um, getting back to what's important. So let's talk about a couple of principles that will help you this week. Here's the first one. God allows opposition to make you stronger. You get that? You see, here's the thing. God could have answered Nehemiah's prayer. And God could have said, you know what, Nehemiah, you're exactly right. I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then the rumor around the whole area would be, don't go against the children of Israel because God will take you out. Now here's a question. What would children of Israel have learned from that? But you see, when there's opposition, what did the children of Israel do? They got stronger. They got, they refocused on what was important. And they said, you know what? We're not going to listen to those guys. They can make fun of us all they want. They can talk about the fox and everything else. We'll just make the wall even stronger than they think it could be. The opposition is what made them stronger. Um, years ago, I used to try to grow all of my own plants. Um, until I ran into Greg, and then I realized he does it much better than I do. So, But once in a while, I'd, I, I would try a tomato plant that was, uh, and I was running into this problem. And one of the problems that I'd run into with tomato plants is I'd get these beautiful plants, start them from seed, baby them, baby them, put them outside and plant them, they'd die within like a couple of days. And so I was talking to Greg, and he said, he said you got to understand that the greenhouse environment, tomatoes are a plant that you need to toughen up. So we mean toughen up. He said, put a fan on them, blow them away, then turn the things and blow them a different way. And whenever you get a chance, hit them. You know, go in and go in and bat them around a little bit. Because why? Because in a real 
world environment, when they get out there, that's what's going to happen with the wind. So he said, so if you can get them toughened up a little bit and season off, then when you go to plant them, and it was like, oh, this is awesome. But that's the principle. The principle is that because of the opposition, because yeah, don't go home and go, okay, honey, you know, wake up, you know, get tougher. Um, you know, okay, children, you're not toughen up. No, no, we're talking about plants, okay? Um, but in that world, I mean, what happened was I had to learn that you had to toughen up. And it's the same thing. God understood that after the walls got built, the children of Israel are going to have to defend themselves and the children of Israel are going to have to go forward. And in order for the children of Israel to go forward, they needed to learn how to handle the opposition that was going to come when they became a city. So God doesn't answer Nehemiah's prayer. He toughens them up. And notice what the opposition did. The opposition, folk for, it forced them to get together and focus on what was important. And so the opposition brought them together instead of pulling them apart. And the opposition forced them to focus on what was important. Some of you are praying for the opposition to end. And God's not answering that prayer because God has something bigger in mind. God's trying to work on your character. God knows that down the line, there's a bigger issue down the line. And he wants you ready for that. So the opposition is there to make you stronger, to maybe bring some people into your life that can help you get stronger. The opposition is there so that you get your focus right. In other words, as, as you sit back and you start to go, okay, what's important? What's really, really important for me here? And I think, I think we forget that. And, and we're in such a, this pain-averse world that the second pain comes, we're like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. And the reality of it is that opposition and that pain can really be something to help and strengthen us. Um, you've got to understand that. You've also got to understand this. This is how Satan's going to work in your life this week. This is how Satan gets in. He gets us to make fun of each other. Can I say this? Be very careful what you joke about. Because sometimes, even though you're joking, there's a cut that can go deep. Sometimes Satan can use your joking to hurt somebody. Because you see, Satan loves to use this ridicule. Satan loves to use this idea of, poking at people and as Christians we get beat up enough we don't need to beat up each other you know I like you know sometimes Christians we're, we're really good we're really good at firing back at the enemy but unfortunately sometimes we we shoot each other in the process and, and we don't want to do that some of you you don't understand but what Satan has done in your life is he's created this whole atmosphere of fear And you worry about stuff you shouldn't worry about? And you try to, you, you get all all wrapped up in this stuff and you, and you just look. I found myself, again, I, I don't share a lot of building stories until we're done building. But I found myself a couple, within the last couple of months, I had a situation that came up. And um, it, it was one of those deals where I, mean, I was losing sleep over it. I, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, every time I'd, you know, I'd wake up thinking about it, I'd go to bed thinking about it, I'd, you know, just constantly turning it over my head. 
And so I did Nehemiah's thing. I tried Nehemiah's thing. Okay, God, this is your problem. You deal with it. I'm going on. And then I'd pick it back up and worry about it the next hour. Um, and, and that's something that's easy to say. And finally, I got to a point where I realized, okay, God, wait a minute. This really is your problem. I'm done with it. You fix it. And in that particular situation, God took care of it uh, really quickly. And it was one of those things where it's like, I wasted so much time, energy, and everything else focusing on that. And it hurt me rather than helped me. Because I became, and this is what happened in my world, is it became, I was fearful that if this doesn't solve, then this is going to happen. And my wife will tell you, my kids will tell you, I, I am a disaster scenario person. Okay? I, I'm one of those that goes to, like, worst case scenario. Um, now, I try to add best case, but I always go to worst case, you know. And, and that's just kind of my nature. And so, I, you know, I, I, I had this catastrophic thinking at the end of it. And it's like, Satan... I don't need to live in fear like that. And, and I really started to learn, I'm getting to learn, this idea of, you know what, look, 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 we really need to trust God. And we really need to let God's problems be God's problem. And this was a deal that I had no business worrying about at all. And when I look back, I could see God, I've had that problem for a long time. And faced it a lot of times that God took care of it every time. Why all of a sudden now is it becoming an issue that I want to pick back up? But I started to live in that fear and that worry. And that's where some of you are right now. And Satan's, when the children of Israel, when they started to go there, they, they stopped and they got their focus right again. And they took it to God and they said, God, help us to get this thing. Now, we're going to focus on the wall. And, and this is where this will help some of you. Some of you have never sat down and ask yourself about the end game, so to speak. So, so here's a question for you. <clears throat> What's the end game for your marriage? I mean, give me one goal, one final goal for your marriage. One goal. One goal for your kids. One goal for your job. See, if, if your goal is to get the next promotion in your job or to get the next raise or to get the next whatever, then that becomes your focus. And those things shift. You know, what helped me in our, in, in, in our world in, in our world was when we focused on our marriage, and here's what my wife and I said. We realized that time is short and that kids are temporary. And so we started asking ourselves, what kind of world do we want when the kids are gone? What kind of, what kind of, what kind of marriage do we want to have when the kids aren't here anymore? I never expected my kids to stay in the area. I'm thrilled that they did, but I never expected that. I expected they would do like I did, fly the nest and fly far, far, far away. Um, I'm fortunate. My kids are close. I understand what a blessing that is. Don't know how long I'll have it, but as long as I got it, I'm going to enjoy it. But the reality of it is we a long time ago said, what kind of marriage, what, what kind of world do we want to live in when our kids are gone? And so back when we, our kids were little, about every three, four months, we'd spend, we'd go, we'd go somewhere and spend a night, just the two of us, and we'd talk about, we wouldn't talk about kids, we wouldn't talk about our jobs. We tried to develop a relationship outside of kids and job. Guess where we are right now in our world? It's just the two of us. But a long time ago, we focused on what we wanted. 
And we made that a focus. And now that we're there, and I have friends who, I'm telling you, they're struggling. I mean, they're just a basket case. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. You know, I'm like, awesome. Tonight, it's just you and I. And we love, we absolutely love sitting in our chairs. We just like being in the same room together. Um, why? Because that's what, and, and like I say, for some of you, what's your focus on your job? What's your focus on what you're involved in in the community? What do you want written on your tombstone? I mean, the bottom line is I, I live in a world where when I do a funeral, I take your entire life and put it in five paragraphs. What do you want me to say? See? Because you're focused, and that's what happened. When, when the ridicule came, when the fear came, when all that came, they took it to God, and then what did they do? They, they focused on what, what their goal was, and their goal was to finish the walls. And it didn't matter what those guys said. It didn't matter what they did. They were going to go ahead and finish the wall. And then here's the last thing. They didn't just pray about it. They didn't just pray about it. This is where I think we miss it. I have people come to me. Pastor, you know, would you pray for me and my spouse because we're having trouble with our marriage? Okay, so what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray that my spouse changes. And I want you to pray that my spouse will change. You know? I want you to pray that my spouse will change. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Time out. What are you going to do about your marriage? I'm going to pray that my spouse changes. I said, time out. Marriage is two people. You can't change them. Only God can change them. But you can change you. So what are you going to do? Praying's good, but you need to go do something, too. What books are you going to read? Are you going to go see a counselor? Are you going to go to read marriage counseling stuff? Are you going to watch YouTube marriage videos or whatever else you're going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray for them to change. I don't know that I have biblical grounds to say this, but I'm going to try. You're wasting your breath. Because you know what? Ultimately, life is about what I do for my part. My spouse may or may not change, but I'm going to stand before God and give an account for the kind of spouse I was. My kids may or may not change, but I'm going to give an account, not for the choices they make. I'm going to give an account for the way that I raised them. I'm not going to give an account to my granddaughter for whether or not I loved her and gave her what she wanted. I'm going to give account to God from whether or not I was the kind of grandfather that set a godly example and was genuinely concerned for her best interest, not necessarily that she likes grandpa. So when she looked at me and went, you're going to take that from me, I can't. I'll be in the office when you're done. Why? Because my goal is to prepare, even as a grandparent, whatever influence I have to prepare her for the real world. And that is so important for us to understand. And, and, and I, I say it because I have a lot of people that go, you know, I'm just praying about this, but they don't do anything. Nehemiah said, hey, the enemy's getting ready, to, the enemy's threatened to attack us. Okay, God, we need you to protect us. And who's going to take Monday night? There was an active element to the prayer. There was a proactive response to a threat. There was a, okay, 
We're going to pray, and, and, and literally, we're going to get to the point in the children of Israel. Literally, you know what they're doing? They have a sword here and a trowel here. And they're going, mud, mud, mud. Oh, trumpet call. Put the trowel down. We're ready to fight. Okay, false alarm. Put the sword back. Let's go back to working. That's literally the point these people get to. Why? Because there's an active part of praying, too. And I see so many people that it's like, you know, you know, will you, will you pray for our families just really struggling and we don't get along and blah, 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 and da, da, da. Time out. Stop. Yes, we'll pray for it. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Well, nobody wants to listen. Don't give me all the reasons you're not going to do anything. What are you going to do? You know? And that, that's why I say, in church, I mean, that's the thing. you got a problem. I, I learned this from a Christian business guy. Come with me with any problem you got. But come with me with two solutions. Because then I know you're really genuinely concerned about fixing it, not just griping, whining, and complaining. Why? Because we, and, and that's what I'm saying. So when it comes to our family deal, and we're dealing with a problem, you know what? We're looking for solutions. We're looking for solutions. And, and I want to challenge you because I see so often people that's like, you know, well, we're just going to pray about it. I mean, can you imagine me going, hey, you know what? We need to build another building. If you want me, I'm going to be in my office for the last year praying about it. God, help us to build another building. God, help us to, God, you know, name it and claim it and stake it. And we're going to walk around it. And I'm, God, build us another building. God said, wait a minute. I gave you some skills and ability. You have to justify all the tools you own anyway. I've given you a whole group of people who have skills, abilities, tools, resources, and everything else. You have everything that you need to build it. Thank you for praying about it. Now go build it. Well, yeah, but Lord, we don't have this. That's okay. I'll provide the things that you don't have, but go out and build. And I think sometimes that's what we forget. And I, and I want to challenge you. That thing that you're praying about, ask yourself what you can do to be part of the solution to that. And don't just pray about it. So I think as you see this thing, you start to understand what Satan's going to try to undermine and do in your life this week. Ridicule? Pray about it. It'll be part of it. Just keep on, keep your focus. Fear? The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. The people got together. They rallied around each other. They encouraged each other. They started building. They focused on getting the wall done. Intimidation? Confusion? They got on the same page. The guys make fun of me because every, every morning when we get here, Tuesdays and Fridays, I'm there with my piece of paper writing down all the stuff that we need to do for that day. Why? Because, this is a really bad illustration now that I think about it. We're trying to have as little confusion as possible. And the piece of paper does help eliminate some of it. Um, I'm going, okay, this is what we need to knock out today. Why? Because Satan loves to get people confused. And that's what he'll do. So, so I, I want to encourage it. So I ended this morning with this. Satan's going to oppose anyone who seeks to live for God. Allow God to use the opposition to strengthen you, to clarify your focus and your resolve. Trust God, but always be on guard for an enemy whose main goal this week is to destroy you.
let him get a foot in the door. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's easy sometimes to get intimidated and confused and allow fear to take a foothold in our lives. Or it's easy sometimes that at the slightest bit of ridicule, we back down instead of becoming more bold. But Lord, we can't accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives if we do that. So help us. Lord, for those here this morning who are just caught in the middle of this thing, would you help them to understand that, Lord, uh, there is a, a much better way to live. And Lord, would you continue to teach and grow each of us. And Lord, when it is all said and done and we come back in here next week, may we be able to look at areas where we've had little victories, where fear didn't grip us, where ridicule didn't slow us down or hinder us. But instead, Lord, we were to stay focused on honoring you with everything we say and do. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand and we're going to sing uh, 438, Cleanse.